Good evening, TD and listeners. Welcome to this week in interview with your host, Anthony Drago. I hope everybody had a, a wonderful week um, and you're looking forward to your weekend. Uh, the, if you live in North America, almost anywhere in the world, like, it looks like um, Europe, Caribbean, United States, will go in through a heat wave. And um, there were some challenges to the electrical grid, some challenges, some health challenges. We hope that you, that you made it through without too much stress. Uh, it, you know, it's one of those things where we say we have to pay attention to, um, to climate change. But welcome uh, back. I, I look forward to spending the next hour with you, as I do every Wednesday evening. If you are a regular listener, welcome back. I, I appreciate you making this weekend interview uh, part of your weekly schedule. If tonight is the first night that you listen to this weekend interview, my objective, full disclosure, my objective is to turn you into a regular listener. This weekend interview is about bringing you information, um, bringing you knowledge, increasing your knowledge, and, and hopefully moving you to action. And we always approach contemporary issues, but we try to approach it from an angle that is different from what you would find if, let's say, you were to go browse the internet, Google, or use your remote control. If that is what we would, then there would be no need for us. But we try to do it differently, and hopefully you, you agree with us. And, and as usual, I always, um, I always like to get your suggestions and your feedback. So keep them coming. Don't be shy. Um, my back may not be broad, but I, I can take it. So, so I'm always looking for areas um, that we can improve, uh, forever trying to tweak. But tonight, tonight uh, um, I'm very excited to have a guest, although the circumstances that, that have him on the show is uh, circumstances that we wish were different. He's been on the show before uh, a, a couple of times, Dr. Peter Sejan. Um, Dr. Peter Sejan is a sociologist. Um, he, but more than just a sociologist, he's somebody who studies um, life as put into policing and crime and young people and all of that thing. He has a special skill set. And he was in Dominica recently and I, those of you who, who, who saw the news of um, another murder that took place in Dominica in the last few days, he happened to be Dominic, in Dominica, and it, it, it took place basically in his community. And that spurred him to, <clears throat> to write a letter to the Prime Minister, an open letter to the Prime Minister of Dominica, imploring him to, to look at the crime situation and to take action, immediate urgent action to avert an escalation. And so um, he was gracious enough to agree to come on this weekend interview so we could, we could have that conversation. And so my, that's my guest tonight. My guest tonight is Dr. Peter Saint-Jean. Let's, let's take a little bit of the CARICOM anthem. And when we come back, when we come back, we will, um, we will join Mr. Um, Dr. Saint-Jean, he will be joining us from Chicago and we will be talking about his concerns, his recommendations and so on. So, so stay tuned and we'll be right back um, with Dr. Saint-Jean. 
distant lands Our forefathers came Some seeking adventure Some bound in chains Through battles waged and fought Through victory and pain By test of their courage Our freedom was gained In homage to those gone before us The heroes of lands in the sun We vow to join hands and to focus On building one Caribbean Raise your voices high Sing of your Caribbean St. Martin and Marigold. Vital Bio specializes in all kind of dishes. Oh yes, West Indian dishes, chicken and rice and all that's nice and many other types of seafoods. Oh yes, a one-stock bar awaits you. Especially if you need a martini. Vital Bio specializes in all your favorite drinks in top quality for you. Oh yes, Vital Bio brand new. Yes, I told you so. Lot 107, Resident Lamande. 54 Rue de la Liberté. Vital Bio, the number one restaurant on the French side of St. Martin. Don't you forget to go to Vital Bio, the number one brand new restaurant on the French side of St. Martin. Hey, Busola, you come back? Where you going this time? Hey, buddy, coming up, and 
I would feel the best of King Cali for sure. I come and see if I get a little money to buy my outfit. Well, that outfit going to be well cheap. How much you want? Me hundred. Hundred? Hundred what? Hundred twelve? You know you don't have hundred thousand dollars come jingle. Stop big joke. Okay, okay. You want a mic? You, you can afford to buy mic? But now, how much money you want? Be honest with yourself. I call him police for me, Starry. Wicked, you wicked man. You suck down how much Hennessy and cook for the weekend. Now you come down and ask for fifty dollars. My man is to call police for you, though. Me twenty. Um, On August 31st, 2019, at Tropical Paradise on 1367 Utica Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, featuring King Hurricane, King Stranger, King Observer, King Caressa, Jody, Lugas, Intruder, Checo, Sai, Sawa Sawa, King Bob, and the Rainy Monarch, King Dice. And special performances by Exile One and Big Ben. For tickets, call 917-865-6393 or 767-235-7800. The best of King Calypso Show, Labor Day Weekend, New York, you need a cool out. <laughs> You know, there are many choices when it comes to domain registration, web hosting, and dedicated servers. But I have to tell you about Jocko Hosting. They're simply the best. With their 99.9% .9 uptime guarantee, 24-7 sales and support teams, you'll never have to worry. Get in touch with them today. They offer plenty of other products and services like SSL certificates, managed WordPress, and more. Call or click today, 480-624-2500. Jocko.com. That's J-A-C-H-Q-O dot com. TV and radio, we play the hits and wicked old school jams to bring back memories. memories. I'd rather be broke and free than a plenty money and oil. Lawrence Place presents the best of Kings Calypso Extravaganza in Brooklyn, New York is on again. See it again, the best of Kings. On August 31st, 2019, at the Tropical Paradise 1367 Utica Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11203. Featuring King Observer, King Scranter, King Caressa, King Hurricane, King Bob, and the reigning monarch, King Dice. Also on the cards, Intruder, JD, Checo, Lugas, Sai, and Roadmatch King, Sawa Sawa. Sawa Sawa. Alongside DJ Big Ben. Big Ben. With a full performance by Exile One. Exile One. Lawrence Place. Master of Ceremony and Special Act by Ma Buttercup and Jamal of Jingle Jam Entertainment, New York, the Tri-State Area. This is it! For tickets, call 917-865-6393 or 281-701-1589 or 767-235-7800. If you're in the New Jersey area, call 862-368-9301 or 347-564-6201. Boston, 617-785-4206. Toronto, 416-894-9754 or 416-684-0681. Bronx, New York, 914-522-6832. Queens, New York, 929-372. 2060. For tickets online, go to www.islandeventstickets.com. The best of Kings, August 31st, Tropical Paradise, 1367 Utica Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11203. Only 50 bucks gets you in New York. We come in again! Come and take a cool out at the best of Kings. Doors open at 9. Brought to you by Larry's Place. Larry's Place. The number one, the number one Caribbean radio station on the web, TDN Radio. TDN Radio. All right, we're back, and thank you to our sponsors. Um, we're getting a, a, a few sponsorship. Um, we appreciate it because, you know, as I said, as I always say to you, 
all the announcers on TDN Radio are, are doing it voluntarily. But if you're just tuning in, you're listening to This Week in Interview on TDNRadio.net. I'm your host, Anthony Drago. And my guest tonight is Dr. Peter Saint-Jean. Dr. Peter Saint-Jean, um, he, he worked in, um, he, he's a sociologist. He is the founder of Quality of Life Solutions. And um, he, he's been on the show with, with me a few times. And uh, he, he recently came back from Dominica. Um, and the reason why I invited um, Dr. Seja to be on the show with us tonight is, is a letter, that, an open letter that he wrote to the Prime Minister of Dominica. It's a long letter. Let me, let me start it for you, and then I will, I will bring Dr. Seja on, and we'll go through the other aspects of the letter. But essentially, there was a, a shooting a young, a young man was shot by another, what appeared to be another young man in, in the village of Baffer State um, or Silver Lake. In, uh, he's from Silver Lake, but it took place in Baffer State, neighboring communities. And it, it, it seemed like it hit very close to home to Dr. Saint-Jean. I mean, any, any such crime hits all Dominicans really hard because Dominica, traditionally, we like to think of Dominica as not having too many of those serious crimes. And that spurred him, I guess it was on his mind, and that spurred him to, to write a letter in the raw moment. As a matter of fact, he said he wrote it from his phone. He was, he was in transit traveling from Dominica back home to Chicago. And he, the letter starts, it says, warning, an open letter to Prime Minister Roosevelt Skerritt regarding social threats to peaceful Dominica. Dear Honorable Prime Minister Skerritt, I hope that this letter finds you and leaves you in best possible health and spirits. I am writing this letter in a rush while I am in transit back to the Chicagoland area and determined to complete it before my arrival. Therefore, please forgive any minor errors. Based on ethnographic data I gathered on the ground in Dominica over the last three weeks from June 30th to July 23rd, while I was conducting intensive social scientific work in Dominica, I feel compelled to compose this letter to you and to deliver it in public. Why in public? Please keep reading because I explain why below. Sir, as per your request to me through Afinia Benjamin in 2011, I drafted and submitted to you the proposal to maintain and improve peaceful Dominica. And there's a link to that proposal. We discussed the plan a few times, and you eventually decided to stop communicating with me without any explanation, notwithstanding my many efforts to obtain your response and even offering to work pro bono. Of course, you are under no obligation to take anyone's recommendation for peaceful Dominica, but at least some sort of systematic plan may have been better than the piecemeal approach you seem to have employed alternatively. The results? Sir, I have ethnographic data informing me that the murder of one of my community collaborators in Silver Lake, Marcus, and potentially some others could have likely been avoided if you had decided to either take the plan seriously enough to implement at least part of it. To the very least, if for whatever reason you did not want to work directly with me, 
you could at least get another suitable qualified person to implement or try at least one important component of it, even if that component was enhancing community policing after all. So I said that murder in particular could have been avoided through my recommendations because the elements suspected as responsible for Marcus's death could have been helped through the recommendations in the proposal. More specifically, my recommendation for enhancing community policing and providing seed funding for human, social, and economic development among troubled elements of society in Dominica could have helped to significantly reduce the chances of, apparent, of the apparent buildup which led to Marcus's murder. For that matter, data informed me that Marcus may not have been a particular target as much as anyone from Silver Lake could have been assassinated in Baffer State yesterday. This, of course, is only part of the story. So I will pause there and read the letter because I, I have Dr. Seja on the line. Uh, and Dr. Peter Seja, welcome back to this weekend interview. It has been a long time, but it's always a delight to have you as my guest. Welcome. Anthony, thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Always good to be with TDN Radio. Yes, and, and if, if the times before that we spoke, you know, we spoke about this same theme in general, you know, enhancing life, especially for our young people, and, and enhancing and designing policy in such a way that it, it complements the community and, and helps to avert issues even before they happen. Um, that is always the impression that I have every time we have this conversation and this speaking interview. And, and your letter is pointing in that same direction. Before we get into, the, into, the, into too much of the meat of it, um, when I read the letter, it seems so organic, so natural, so raw. Um, so I'm going to give you a chance to, to talk about the incident. Um, you indicated that it's somebody that you knew that got murdered. You probably, I don't know, if, you, I don't know if, they, if they have a suspect or if you know the person, but you... But it, it, it happened in your community, so to speak. So it's people that you're familiar with. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to just talk about the incident a little bit and how it affected you. Yes. Well, you know, um, you know thanks again, Anthony, for the opportunity. I am from the village of Trafalgar, you know, which is and Marcus Fagan, you know, uh, lives in Silver Lake. And Silver Lake, of course, is on the way from Rosa to Trafalgar. I basically cannot avoid going to through Silver Lake to and from Trafalgar, you know, when I go home. And uh, from a little boy, I, you know, I was used to, uh, I'm accustomed to being in the community from time to time, also going down by the river. But since 2011 or so, I've been working closely with Gloria Walsh of Love One Teach One Foundation uh, in the community and working with many people in the community there to help improve quality of life. And uh, one of the gentlemen, Wadada, you know, Eddie James, that uh, was murdered uh, two years ago now almost, uh, was a very close collaborator of mine. And Marcus Fagan is one of the young men, you know, with his, um, his, uh, his partner, uh, Glenn O'Kerr, and their, their three uh, children, or basically four children, because Glenn O'Kerr has a, a son that whose uh, father was murdered. Um, wow. And Marcus has stood as a, as, as a, uh, Marcus has stood as a father mm. for that. The young man, and they have three other other uh, uh, children. Wow. Uh, so, so with um, 
you know, the so, and they have a very very young baby, very young baby as well. So when I was in Dominica recently, you know, Silver Lake is a, a usual spot. I stop and tell them I'm here. I go to Esther's shop, you know, I speak to her, go see the children, because since Wadada was murdered, I told Esther that I was going to help her raise the children because I was already playing somewhat of a mentorship role um, and sometimes even a co-fatherly role with Wadada with the children because sometimes whenever if one of them or two of them didn't show up to my program, he would chastise them in my presence and he would tell them how important it was to be involved in me better you. And he was one of those that publicly chastised other children if they were not you know, behaving according to the way he, he, he perceived and I agreed were, were ways that would be able to be conducive to a better community. So he was always trying to, you know, trying to straighten out things. Nobody is perfect and, you know, he never claimed to be a perfect person. He has had a life, a past of crime himself. He has been incarcerated for various things. Um, but he has primarily lived a life, an exemplary life in his community other than other than just minor, minor things, um, uh, in, in that regard, so when I when I um, when I learned on my way down, and well, the day before we were on um, a couple radio stations, um, basically saying that um, you know we need a more systematic approach to understanding this issue and dealing this issue of crime and violence in Dominica. Even if the statistics show that between 2000 and 2018, that there was about a 46 percent drop in total reported crimes. And a lot of them are drops in burglaries and some of the other crimes. But we see a 450% increase in murders. 450% increase. Yes, but it was two in 2000. It was 11 in 2018, you know, which is, you know, 11 wow. minus 9, 11 minus 3 equals 9. Mm-hmm. Over that, 450%. So, so um, 9 over 2. So, so basically the issue was that um, what I, the point I really wanted to make in them and the point that I'm making to the letter of the Prime Minister is that, you know, uh, things happen in various ways and for various reasons, and we are much able to realize a, 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 prefer, a preferred outcome by having some sort of systemic or planned approach uh, to addressing things. And that is not to assume that the Prime Minister and the government does not have, you know, some sort of systematic or some sort of some sort of approach in their own way. I mm-hmm. mean, I don't know it other than, and, and usually it is it is more than just having the police force operating and just having government operating and just having the courts operating. When I talk about the systematic approach, it has some some evidence based, research based platform that that does some kind of benchmark study that does an, inv- an intervention and then does assessment and from time to time. You go back and you tweak things to see how you're doing, and in case that there's some problem, you can go to part of the system and fix it and adjust it, or even throughout the whole thing so, and design something else. You understand? Yeah. So, so since you since you you you've already started doing that in your letter to the prime minister, you reference you made reference to a proposal that you that you submitted to him with recommendations, um, because because of your expertise, because of your training you were able to identify the early stages of the trend upwards in violent crime. And, and, and so your proposal had recommendations to address it. Um, I know it's a, I looked at the proposal online, it's 44 pages, but I, in a nutshell, would you be able to, to highlight what some of the major aspects of that proposal Yes, well, the, the proposal had, um, 
various, has various components, components to it. It has the background. It talks about the issue why the concern, the trends of crime in Dominica, historical trends, mm-hmm. contemporary trends, murder, burglary, and so on. In a nutshell, what the, the proposal sought to do was to lay out uh, a case that although we see Dominica um, as having lower crimes than certain areas, uh, certain countries or, or parts of countries and so on, that our problems are, are, are big enough and significant enough to be of concern. And if we, and we need to, and, and the way to do this is not to say so much about Jamaica has a different, Jamaica has a different issue than Jamaica where we're trying to lower high crime. Mm-hmm. What I, I, what I was, what I suggested is to, to, to develop the peaceful nature aisle. So for us, it is not so much about how we reduce high crime as much as we mean, how do we maintain low crime? Right. Understand? Right. Mm-hmm. And I said that maintaining low crime is actually an economic product. It's a social product, economic, environmental. So basically what I was asking uh, the Prime Minister is for us to package and develop the peaceful nature aisle. Mm-hmm. Right? So uh, at the end, when you see the proposal and the amount that is there, it is not even so much of an expenditure, much as a, as, as a deposit into an investment. An right? investment, and, yes. And, and, the, and the cost of the, we talk later about the cost, if you look at the budget, the, much of the price of the budget was already, I, I said, it, uh, it was an estimate of the value of the intervention of the program rather than what we have to spend. You understand? Right. Because there was probably almost $200,000 of consultation for writing the proposal and doing the research. That was going to be forgiven because that was already gone. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a month for, like, for having a kind of a peace fest and so on like that. You know, so so when you look at the cost of, of I think it was four point one. I mean, look at it. It was really, but it was over three years, right? So it's about two point something million dollars over three years. But the, I mean, but, but aside from the money, you asked for this a nutshell. The nutshell was for us to develop peaceful nature aisle, for us to realize that the peacefulness and the loving nature of Dominicans in Dominica to harness this as part of an economic and a social product, and to be able to have infrastructure in place that we can maintain the peaceful nature aisle and we can benefit from it economically and otherwise. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah, because um, Dominica for a long time enjoyed the reputation of being a peaceful place. And therefore, mm-hmm. people used to feel comfortable going down on vacation um, because you can go on the beach in a secluded area, have, have your own meditation, have your peace, and, and without having to worry too much about violent crime. Um, well, I heard you say in 2000 there were two murders. Yes, in the year 2002, we're recording, yes. Yeah, so, so at, even at that time, a murder was a novel thing. Um, not that well, and, and until the following year, in 2001, there was one murder as well. Right. So, you know, there was, there was one in 2001, but there were 10 in 2002. There were, and for, in, for 2003, 4, and 5, there were eight murders each. In 2006, we had five, and in 2007 and 8, we had seven each. In 2013, we had nine murders. In 2010, we had the most murders that we have recorded in our in our recent history, which is 15 murders in 2010. Wow. And for the years 2011 and 12, we had six murders each. In 2013, we had um, 12 murders. In 2014 and 15, we had nine murders each. But quite interestingly, in 2016, we had 10 murders, 2007, 12, um, um, 2000, um, sorry, 2000, where were I? 2000, uh, let me go back on there. We were on 2016, we 
2018, we had 11 murders. So for the last three consecutive years, we've been in double we, digits. We, we had it, we've been in double digits, but if you count the two previous years and the year before that, for one, two, three, four, five, six, if you look at the the, the, the rate the ratio over the last six years has been 10.5 or 11 murders, right? And what we do, you may wonder, how do I make that projection? What I do, I use a mean and standard deviation. It's an algorithm mm -hmm. that looks at the average and then creates a standard deviation. The standard deviation is the average of the average. It's the square root of the variance. You know, it's, um, so basically, you have a standard deviation of 1.37, which means that every year there is about a difference of 1.3. Or well, let's say, well, let's say, let's say, let's say, it goes to a, a difference about one or two homicides. Uh, so that gives us a high estimate of twelve, or a low estimate of nine for the following year. So, following year. so I mean, and the reason I use it, I mean, I could use um, OLS ordinary least square regression or some other fancy statistics. But in case somebody wants to question what I'm saying, I just use the, the basic formula in. Um, I created the algorithm in uh, in Excel so somebody else could easily retabulate because if I did it in SPSS, they would need the program to see if they want to question the validity of what I'm saying. At least I did it too well, so they any person. Well, well, so, it, the, the, another, there's another question of question in your data because you did this report in 2011, and essentially, what you predicted would take place if we did not um, take steps to mitigate it. We seem to be matching it. Um, yeah, well, yes. The, 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 well, there are two things. There are one thing that's written in the proposal, but the other thing I was just telling you right now about, because I did it in 2011, so, so obviously I couldn't speak about 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, exactly. you know, right. years. So, so I projected for the time that I could project. And, and remember, in 2005, I had um, um, published um, somewhere in the web uh, an article called More Money, More Crime. Mm -hmm. And what the More Money, More Crime article said is that for every 1% increase in the total GDP, um, there's the domestic support in Dominica, we had about a 2.6% increase in total crimes and about a 2.5% increase in violent crime. So basically, as we develop economically, so did rates of crime increase almost twice as much to the volume of the economic development but, but it's functioned on a lab, which is two years later. But, so but, we cannot but that, rely but that's on not automatic. I'm sorry. sorry? I'm saying, but that is not an automatic correlation, though. If, if, if steps are taken deliberately to address it, that's not an automatic correlation that as your, as your economy increases, it's automatic that your crime will increase. Is that... Is that well, it is not. It is not automatic, but it is true for for the Carib for the more developed Caribbean islands. You look at Jamaica, you look at Trinidad, you look at Saint Lucia, right, and some other parts uh, of the Caribbean, um, especially those these islands that I mentioned, uh, Puerto Rico, um, you know, and so on. That that is that is true. That is true because it's not just development. The problem is not that you should expect economic development to increase crime. That is, uh, or, 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 or automatic, as you were saying, that automatic that. Economic development is an automatic increase of crime. That is not necessarily the point. Mm -hmm. The point is that when you do economic development, if you do not do simultaneously appropriate social development, the very aspects of economic development that you involve, get involved in may be fuel to the fire of issues such as crime. And why is that the case? Because you have relative deprivation that can happen. If you have lopsided development where you develop some people and not others, exactly. and especially those in great need, you're going where well, some people who have more are going to have more, 
and those who are less are going to be more frustrated towards those who have more, and they will feel that they can steal and do 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 do, do um, mayhem with impunity because they feel as if they are they untrusted, uh, un, unjustly treated, and they can basically equalize that injustice by take, you know by being um, a menace to society. You understand? Certainly, certainly. Yeah, there are, are very good models of where um, economic development helped to reduce uh, issues of, of crime. I mean, we see it a lot in the Scandinavian countries. In some aspects, in some areas of the United States, sometimes that, that, that happens. There's some evidence of it in Chicago and so on, even if Chicago has its problems. So the idea is that we need to have a, a, a social intervention program that is that there is a plan. If you want to reduce violence and crime and mayhem in society, you cannot do this piecemeal without some systematic approach and just rely on everyday business to be able to address that issue. That's the main point. Yeah, because I, I will tell you, I live in Brooklyn, and um, I was listening to a program on the radio today, and uh, there's this um, gentleman who does similar work that you do, work with the community, and there's a section of Brooklyn that he was saying that they, they used to average, in, in the summer months, they used to average 20-something shootings in the summer months. And then they moved in and started doing programs with the young people. They improved, they spent money, improved the housing and so on. And right now they were, on, they were counting days, 543 days without a shooting in that community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, when I heard that, I was like, that's exactly what you you suggesting, that yeah. that if you pay attention to the young people, specific deliberate attention to the young people and their needs, and 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 programs for them to to help them see how they can develop themselves and make them independent, crime crime goes down because they become too busy to and they have too much to lose uh, to to get murdered or to go to jail. Right. Uh, uh, and, and so that bears, that, that, that really um, stayed in my mind. I was listening to it driving home this evening. I'm like, that's exactly what Dr. Sejer is suggesting. And, You're absolutely right, yeah. You know, and, 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 and so, you know, is it, is it too late? Because one of the things I read in your, um, in your proposal is that you were warning that societies that allowed crime to, to escalate to a certain level and never, seem to almost never can return to a state of tranquility where people have that peace of mind. It's like, it's like once it is stretched, it stays stretched. Um, so is, it, you, you see, where you see Dominical on that spectrum? Yes, I think, I think that, yeah, that you have understood this correctly. And uh, the issue is that um, one of the best things about human beings is that we can adjust. Mm-hmm. One of the worst things about human beings is that we can adjust. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, because when we had the two homicides in, two, in, two, in, in 2000 and the one homicide in 2001, people were still like just, um, people were mad. I mean, people upset. I mean, you know, people, whatever, the, whatever, I don't remember exactly which case or cases they were. And I mean, there are more than one or two people, whatever we have formally, sometimes there are people, um, deaths that were not count as murders, you know what I mean? So we, so it doesn't mean that just two people died wrongfully, more than that. So, you know, you kind of get, you know, in, in this that I was, in, I was in Norway in 2009, and um, there are four murders for four million people, and the people were so upset. I mean, you still talk about, they got used to having low murders. And, and, and in Chicago, we, they were, we were killing like 900 people 
you know, in the in the early 1990s, mid 1990s, and then we have about you know 500 and something less than 600 murders, you know, and so on now, and people are still high, but people are hardly people are talking about the time. So when things are bad, people sometimes get used to that's the way things are. You understand? Right. Mm-hmm. So and, 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 and what happens, you know, now, now the, the important point about this is that, you know, in science we talk about things that are kind of incremental or additive and things that are exponential. What I mean by that is that 10 plus 10 plus 10 is 30, right? Right. But if it's 10 times 10 is 100 times 10 is 1,000, okay? Mm-hmm. So what happens, instead of having an additive problem, you can have an exponential problem, Right. So you can, like the one year, what year it was, one year in 2000, in 2001, we had one murder, but in 2010, we had nine mur- we had 10 murders. Wow. We have nine murders. I mean, in the first, 2002, we had two, and, sorry, 2000, we had two, 2001, we have one, and 2010, we have, 2000, sorry, 2002, we have 10, right? So, it, so there's an exponential growth, you know, um, in that time, and then the other three years, we stay at eight, Right. So, so the point of the matter is that when you get to, there's a point, there is usually a breaking point that we can, I can model that statistically, but we don't need to get on fancy, fancy footwork now. The point of the matter is that when we get up to right now, we, we crawl our way up and we have had uh, more than um, double digits of murders, you know, for the last three years, right? And it's projected that we have double digits this year and others. The, the projections of the time help to predict the projection moving you know um, um, moving forward because after 2000 after 2001 um, um, we never saw two or one murders we, we've seen everything has increased in fact the lowest ones we saw was in the lowest year was in 2006 when we had only five murders you understand right so you yeah. you even in my own voice you already hear that right because i say one and two which is low and now i'm calling five only, only five, five because right. now we're talking about 11 exactly exactly <laughs> You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so the point that, you know, um, Anthony, the question is why? A lot of people speak about murders like events. Marcus got murdered, Wadada got murdered, you know, the other child, people get murdered. I think it happened at a day at a certain time. But I, I teach my students, and I teach in physiology and in the work oftentimes to think about murders more like events. You know, and I, I, and it's probably another, not the most pleasant metaphor to to, to, to parallel a murder, like, let's say, with a, with a pregnancy, right? Mm-hmm. There is a period uh, of conception where there's a period, a period of court, periods of, 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 of conception, period of gestation. is something that can be aborted or it can be delivered. Right. So the body that you saw drop did not just drop because somebody just decided to shoot. They are oftentimes, or stab or to strangle or whatever, they are oftentimes indicators that something bad can happen. And when you have things such as the community policing and the other interventions that I suggested to the prime minister in the proposal and everybody can read, then you have a very good chance of, of finding the little murmurs and the little whispers that will eventually, that could eventually lead to a homicide. And if, if, if nothing, it probably could lead to a punch or a slap or probably to no, no violence at all. But if you do not have those kind of uh, preemptive uh, indicators that you can see one thing that going awry, you will just show up after the body drops, and that's not good enough. Right. So, so we talk about community policing. Um, I don't know if you want to do it as an example, as a scenario, or well, you know, take us down that road a little bit of what what a, what good community policing should look like. 
Yes, well, community policing, first of all, is a collaboration between residents and the police to do three things, to collectively identify, to prioritize, and to resolve community problems, right? So what that does is, 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 is that whenever, again, to think of crime, criminal activities or um, deviant activities as processes, things that may begin for some reason, will certainly begin in some reason, but, the, but even if the process started, it doesn't mean the process has to continue, and at some point you can change the course, right? right. Because it doesn't just show up. It doesn't just show up. It comes and it develops. So, so what community policing does, uh, or at least why it is a, a very good um, tool, is that it allows people to understand problems that may arise, problems that are arising, prioritizing the problem, and it gives the community and the residents different tasks to do that they can come back and see how they're doing and to celebrate their successes and they don't just put energy on the bad things that have happened and to blame things but to put energy on celebrating some of the good that is there because it's very important we understand in social physics that energy follows attention so it is not just about people snitching um, about things that's why i do not have a lot of respect for crime stoppers i mean crime stoppers plays its role in the fact that you know, you give a reward for somebody who saw something happen, and it's good that well, you can something. Yeah. Right? But we need to go beyond that. We mm-hmm. not just to say, get mo- you get money when you see something happen. We need to be more preemptive and work with people to develop the type of human infrastructure that prevents those things from happening in the first place. You know, so Crime Stoppers is not, you know, totally without value, but to just have it as if it is the answer is, is very naive. Yeah, because so the because then because then even uh, and, and we have seen community policing in Grand Bay in in Portsmouth. We have seen good models. We have mm. had good results with it. Right. You know, so why just pack this thing on the side? But what, what what would the police do? So, for example, that area from your letter seems to be an area where that needs attention. Silver Lake, Baffer State, that area. Um, you know, what what would if if you were a consultant for the police? Um, that would say, okay, we have something simmering, bubbling in that area. We need to go and, and quench it. What kind of approach? How, how would the police go in there? Um, and, and I'm saying police, but uh, as you say, the government. Um, how would they go in there and, and try to um, diffuse and, and, and turn that um, up that that thing around and, and, and avoid it? Well, it's not going to happen overnight because the problems I created it are not going to happen overnight, right? right. So uh-huh. there is a process. First of all, you have to do some baseline understanding, baseline research to understand because I don't be confused about Silver Lake and, um, and, and Baffer State as if these are the worst or the only problems of issues of crime and violence in, in, in of Dominique. Course not. Of course yeah. mm-hmm. They come up because mm-hmm. I happen to work closely. When I worked in Grand Bay, we spoke a lot about Grand Bay. When I, I do work with folks in Grand Bay to some degree, not as intensely as I did in the past, because without support and resources, it's hard to stretch yourself, you know? Right. So mm-hmm. I, at the time, when and, and part of what I like to do, I like to work with the community and let the community go on its own. Right. You know, um, mm-hmm. Grand Bay has been able to do well on its own, you know, from what we did the time we did before, you know. So, so um, with, with Silver Lake and, with, with, I mean, I work a lot in Trafalgar. We don't have crime problems there, although we have our own problems. Uh, and in Baffer State, what one would need to do, we need to understand. So raise some good questions and get answers to those questions. 
and to have empirical answers to those questions, not just knee-jerk things, right? We would have to look at the at what are the, the levels of the different problems that exist, the type, the profiles, understand those causes better, and have a community approach. You know, in the um, Anthony, it is very important. The, the prescription is is good, but the process at, at arriving at the prescription is sometimes even more important. Mm-hmm. So that's why Grande was so was so successful when um, Amuli Fevrier and uh, and many others, Pierre Charles and others on the on the ground, the guys on the block, like Chichi Jeff I. That's why um, community policing and, and and the police that were there. Uh, with, um, with, you know, the, the chief of police was the acting sergeant at the time, and um, either we had a, a inspector default, Antoine default, and others there. Part of why it was so, so um, Grande was so successful was because of the process that we used. We spoke with the people, the people gave us the information, we came back and told them what we learned. We developed a plan, we gave them different components of the plan to help. Uh, to help implement, and we we, we evaluated, and we, we had conversations with them. So the process is just as important as the intervention itself. So I would, I would, I, I mean, so I would have, I mean, from the information that I have now depends on where we would want to focus based on the resources we have. The first thing that we have to do is do a good study to understand the, the issues better, because a lot of times the intelligence that we have is faulty and noisy because people are not sometimes not saying the truth or the full story. Right. Uh, you understand? And then from that, the intelligence builds from that base. So anybody that comes to you and says, well, I know exactly how to fix this problem, you do this first and then you second and do this second, and this is exactly what it is, then I would question that. What I do is I use in my, in my work what I call an ABC, an ABC model, you know, which is to assess the problem, to build on what works, and to continue improving. Right, so that's what I would do. I would assess what is the problem in Silver Lake or what are the problems in Baptist City, the problem in wherever, to see what works, to build on, uh, what works, and to build on it. And where there are not things that work too well, uh, to bring in new interventions and to continue building on it. So that is, in a nutshell, it's as generic as that. ABC, you know, analyze, uh, gather information, um, uh, see what works, uh, uh, build on what works, and then and okay. then continue improving. Right. No. Now, we talk about um, community policing and developing relationships with the, with the community. Uh, a concern that you raised in your letter was the, con- the, the, the concern that you say that some residents have of the type of relationship between the, the authorities and, and some of the young people who, need, who may need help and attention. Right. Uh, and you were saying that maybe the nature of those relationships needed to be re-examined and reset. Uh, so, so when, when we when we talk about community policing, of course, we, we I'm, I'm sure you were suggesting that the um, the framework of authority is maintained. We know who who is in authority, not necessarily. It's like you have you have your family, and instead of disciplining your children, you're trying to be friends with your children. Uh, and that's yeah. worse than no discipline at all. You want to talk a little bit about what you what what sense you got on the ground from how people perceive the relationship between the authorities and some of the some of the folks who are who are threatening the peace in the society. Yes. Well, you know, one one of the things what the question you asked brought something in mind, and I want to say it before I forget. You can say whatever you want to say about Daniel Carbon as a as a police chief. 
Um, one of the things that I know about him working in Granby with him is that he was an excellent um, community police officer. Uh, and one of the things that made him so great is that he hardly or he never really, to my knowledge, really compromised the rigor of what police work was about. Mm-hmm. Even if you could play football with Carbon in Grand Bay and you could probably trip him because, you know, you know, you are in defense and whatever, it doesn't mean that he's going to compromise his uh, investigative or policing integrity to deal with you in the community tonight or later on. You understand? Right. And one of the things that Daniel Carbon said when he was in Grand Bay and when he was in Portsmouth and when he was in, in Marigat area there uh, is, is really about the integrity of police work. That, that community policing is not about people putting the police in their pockets or for people to be able to use the, the police or the authorities as an excuse for them to get away with wrongdoing. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really admired while I was working with Daniel Carbon, you know, in Grand Bay. Many other police officers, so, but Mr. Carbon had a way of, of expressing himself with a little deeper voice and a little more bravery, you know, than some of the other police officers. You know, so he understands that really well. And having said that, though, that is always uh, that is part of the hint spin of the demise, the criminal demise of, of Jamaica. Uh, um, um, uh, certainly Trinidad, uh, some parts of St. Lucia and some other countries, Dominican Republic and so on, when the, pol- when the, the political parties or political um, bodies uh, feel as if they're threatened by some of the elements of the, 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 one, the, the long-term proletariat, you know, as, as Mark talks about them, the poor, the poor desperate people, some of them, not all poor people are desperate, but there's some elements of the, des- of the poor, that will act and rise, right? So sometimes what um, politicians may do or what police officers may do that uh, in fear of this community, because sometimes they have bigger guns and faster boats than the police, sometimes instead of trying to enforce the law in ways that may be conflict and maybe extreme confrontation, they try to be buddy-buddy with, uh, with those elements. And those elements um, see that as a way to be able to get away. And what they do, they trap they trap some of those uh, and compromise some of those police officers or, 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 or politicians by doing gifts and doing favors and so on. So that way you cannot talk out about them too much because they have something against you. So, so, so that is the process that has happened in Jamaica. That's the process we see. That's the process we see here. Most places, when crimes move, problems of crime move from additive to exponential, it, it happened that way because there was some compromising of policing or criminal justice on the police, the courts, or the corrections level. So what a lot of Dominicans are saying is that when you look at uh, a certain, uh, well, they're speaking specifically, I have not heard them say this about the opposition. Nobody told me about that, about the, about the, the opposition rallies. But speak about some of the Labour Party rallies, and some speak specifically, even of the one recently, that, that was uh, of, of, of the luncheon of, the, of, uh, of one of the Rosa area mm-hmm. uh, representatives, that some people identified that elements associated and accused of and suspected of having killed markers were among, uh, among the, 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 the leading part of that seems to be a citizen security or, or seems to be um, um, cozy around uh, uh, politicians um, and knowing, uh, knowing well that some of those young men are involved in kind of in questionable activities. And again, it doesn't mean that citizens do not have the right to be around politicians, but what some of the residents are saying in their own voices are that, uh, that um, 
there are certain things that those young boys are getting away with um, that 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 compromise um, uh, law and, and, and justice. And instead of politicians closing up with them, seeming not to want to offend them so they could potentially get some votes for them or those boys would retaliate against them, they need to be genuinely helping those young men to get work, to improve the education, and so on and so forth. So this is what, that's what people are saying. And, you know, I'm not, I'm a social scientist, right? I don't live in those communities every day. The voice that I give is the voice that I receive from the people. So they could be wrong as much as they're right. Well, but so well, many I will people tell you, are telling me the same thing, I that I have to believe that all of it is wrong. I will tell you, Dr. Senja, I have seen photographs of um, people very high up in government posing with certain young, young men. And... Um, and people who are familiar with prisons are indicating that some of those young men are young men are either on bail or just came out of jail for, for some kind of homicide or something. And, and they were questioning why would that politician be posting photos, um, you know, posing like friends, like bodies, um, in that kind of setting. If, if you are a person in authority, then the young man should conform to your posture, not you have a posture that, that's more fitting with, with his lifestyle. You know what I mean? Um, yes, so, and, I, and, and I would, I would caution to posture. say, Anthony, that not because a politician or even a police chief or whoever may, and they, they know, nothing has been said about the police chief here, so I don't want to give any, any kind of false exactly, exactly. So let's stick to the issue. People are talking about politicians, politicians not police officers. Politicians. Politicians. So much. Yeah. So, so, so the, the fact that a politician is with a high-profile person that seems to be involved in drugs or seems to be involved in other kind of clandestine activities doesn't necessarily or directly say that a politician is aiding and abetting this. You know, they have people take pictures with me all the time, people may take pictures with you, you know, um, and, and, and so, so I don't think that's enough to say that that person is corrupt or that person is aiding and abetting criminality because that person took a picture. You know, and the very fact that um, uh, a lot of the young men uh, in that state or some of the areas that people see or believe to be involved in questionable activities were buddy-buddy were or seem to be buddy-buddy with the politicians um, during that campaign doesn't necessarily say that the, that, that the politicians are directly in and abetting or funding or anything the activities of those men. You see, I think it is dangerous for those kinds of assumptions to be made without facts, and I, but that is why I believe we need to really have systematic work so people are not falsely accused of things because those men, too, and, and, and those women deserve a right to be involved in, in, in party politics or in civil rights and voting. They have those, those rights as well. Uh, but people, some people are, who know some things on the inside uh, and, and see things such as people affiliated um, saying, well, if I don't get my hush money, or if I'm not hush money but my cool-out money, what I'm going to do, and things that people have told me directly and things that people tell other people about with the belief that what you see as the parading around of, 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 of politicians and persons with questionable legal characters, that there is more to the eye than what you see. I don't think it's automatic, but I think that I cannot deny some of the things that people are speaking about seemingly factually. But that's issues for the police to look into. Uh, that's issues for the politicians themselves to be aware of. And that's issues for the community people to realize that a lot of them are saying they don't want to be used just for votes. And, and, and they believe that if some of those young men do not get what they want, that they may turn, they may turn their weapons around, the weapons of their mouths, the weapons of their hands, the weapons of their guns or whatever, 
going to turn it around and injure the people who they who they expect certain things from. I hope that doesn't happen at all. Happen. And at all. Yeah. But this is what people are saying on the ground, and we cannot really ignore that. And you cannot ignore it. The, the thing I was going to say is that although, and, 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 and of course, a, a photograph, like you said, nowadays in the age of selfie, um, somebody perceives you to be a celebrity and you, and you take a selfie. Um, it's a, but also, as a high-profile person, you have to be aware of appearances. Um, and so the, the onus is on, is on that person as well. It, it, it's, a, it's curious, though, that, um, that your experience with the chief of police um, impressed you with his, with his skill um, in terms of his community policing ability and experience. And we don't, uh, we don't seem to see, you know, know that he is the head of the police. Um, it's, it's curious that we don't see that culture um, happening quicker um, in the rank and file and in the, in the community. Um, so, so I guess it goes back to what, to what your, your letter was about in the first place, that it has to be systematic. Um, and, and from what you're saying is that it seems like you have the correct person with the experience at the head of the force. Uh, and so we really hope, we really hope that, that your letter doesn't fall on dry, on dry soil, that it, it lands on fertile wet soil, that it can take root, you know? Yeah, but I would be cautious when I say that you have the person heading the force for community policing, and I and I don't think I've said that. No, no, and that's I'm not what you said. To say that. Know, you what say I said that. is that the police chief is very, you you know, with him tactically, yeah. he's very apt, and he's very well experienced in understanding how to do community policing, right? Mm-hmm. Now, it's a whole different ball of wax to be the person to be doing the work and to be the manager promoting the work. Because what you quickly realize is that when you're a sergeant or an inspector, you know, that have to be able to direct people to investigation, prosecutions, and those types of things, that's one thing. But when you get on the, the top, and then you rely, you're relying on manpower, a woman power, human power, you're relying on, on, on vehicles, you're relying on, on ministers of national security to, to give some orders, or you, or you have some other things that you can talk about. All of a sudden, the ideal idea that you had for community policing and the, the fires that you have to put out put so much demand on you that community policing may go by the wayside. Point well taken. I said point well taken. I, I think, I think yeah. 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 So I think I would not be so quick to automatically just dismiss uh, Mr. Carbon as someone who has no value for community policing. Although I will say unapologetically, that uh, I do not think that community policing is necessarily his very first preference in terms of responding, mm. because he's the type of, of, of police officer. I want to say that I won't say that he wants to be heavy-handed first, but you know he's very strong on law and order, and he's not ignoring community policing. But I, I, I know that um, the idea of having the people feel the police and those types of things may may be more aligned with his natural habitat than okay. one of, of, of going to the extreme with, with, with community policing. So, and, and I would not point all of the fingers to him, mm-hmm. um, on him, for why community policing has not, de- has not been developed, but I would not, certainly not point the fingers away from him, because I believe that he too could do better, um, as he could, to, uh, in his own realm of things, to be able to, to do more uh, for the talks that we have had in this issue of community policing. 
So, so for the folks who are listening, the, the, the listeners out there, the regular citizens of Dominica, whether we live in Dominica or we, we, the diaspora, what really can we do if, if let us say, your, your letter does not spur any kind of action in the, in the direction that you're recommending? What can reg ordinary, regular, everyday citizens do to, 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 to meet that problem that we see looming on the horizon and, and try to, to reduce its impact? Yeah, well, part of what people have to do is, uh, I just, I'm just reading the Facebook, um, the Facebook um, post that uh, Venmo News or one of these um, people said, and uh, my, my friend um, Frankie Bellot, um, said that, so is Kerit fault the man dead? So I think part of what people don't have, people do not have to do is not to be kind of just kind of sentimental and make kind of statements such as what uh, so-called crazy Frankie T, uh, Frankie Bellot is, is, has just made on, on the post. Um, and, 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 and also do not make some statements that some other people have done, have made, to uh, basically just character assassinate in a prime minister's spirit um, um, because of the contents of the letter. I think what we really need to do is to realize that one of the best things about Dominicans, uh, sorry, one of the best things about Dominica is Dominicans. Dominicans are by nature good, God-loving, God-fearing, loving, peaceful people. And what we need to realize is that the state of affairs that we see for the good, the bad, and the ugly are in part the responsibility of all of us, right? Mm -hmm. So Frankie, so Frank, so 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 so, so Frankie Bella, pardon, not at all. It's not scary for that for that, that that the man dead, and it's not scary for that anybody dead. And that's not the point of the letter at all. The point of the letter is that there are many things that we can do to help reduce the likelihood of bad things happening and to increase the likelihood of good things happening, all right? So we, we have to take responsibility on, on different types of levels. In the community, the young, man who, the young man who decided to pull the trigger and the others that are associated with him, whatever his home background is and other people who do those killings, you know, we have to stop raising killers because the killers get born out of somebody and the community uh, is, is part of raising those killers. So... The type of, of values that we have, the type of ways we support people. When we ourselves sometimes see bad things happening, sometimes instead of trying to quell the problem, we instigate. You know, we we, 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 we we agitate the situation. We want to take our phones and videotape instead of maybe even trying to say something that can help to have the problem diminished. Uh, I think regular citizens can realize that that the responsibility. No, the, the idea of the letter is not to blame the prime minister and say, hey. You didn't fund the proposal, so people are dying. I mean, that would be simplistic, that would be idiotic, and I hope that no one would reduce themselves to that kind of analysis. There's absolutely no way um, in that communication that I have um, provided to the Prime Minister that this is a blame of him or for him uh, for the deaths. But in the military, we learn that bad leadership may not be the root of problems, but good leadership can be the solution. So that is the point. We will not be able to blame the prime minister for the deaths that are happening here, but the prime minister can play a major role in preserving lives. That's the point. Exactly. It is not about blame, but it's looking at possibilities. And if you realize 
The letter that I wrote is again telling the Prime Minister, listen, I've told you before, I will do my work for free. I've been doing a lot of work for free. This is not about, this is about money, but money is about putting something in place for the country. And, 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 and crazy tea, it is not so much about blaming Skerritt for who died, but maybe if, if we do the right thing for finding the praises for the lives that we save. So it is more focused on finding praises for the lives that we can save more than putting blame uh, 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 on others. So, what the, so to answer your question again very succinctly, what the normal citizens can do is to realize that all of us play a role in the, the possibilities of good or bad things happening. For example, uh, for the situation in Silver Lake, from what I've understood, and the investigation is still underway, so I, I don't want to really want to tamper with a case that is that, that has been ongoing. But there are reasons to believe that there were a, a small a small infraction, a small um, um, problem that happened in Baffer State, mm-hmm. um, and without the total gathering of facts, then some uh, persons decided that they had to retaliate against some. Um, um, people from Silver Lake because somebody was robbed or somebody was otherwise tampered with. And, and there have been series of victimization. That's not the only person. There are uh, the other people recently that were beaten up, um, uh, somewhat injured by, by factions believed to be or known to be in Baffer State. So if people are living and people are knowing those things are happening, it's happened to your brother, your cousin, your, whoever is doing this, you know, uh, as crime stoppers said, you see some, you see something, you say something. Mm-hmm. That is when something like crime stoppers can come be handy, right? Uh, in the, in the sense of being able to help prevent things from happening. Unfortunately, that's not really how it really developed. It most mostly responds to after the crime happens. But the point of the matter is that every one of us should take a responsibility to help improve the the the, 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 the peace and tranquility of Dominica. But we cannot deny the fact that someone like the Prime Minister, Minister of National Security, Police Chief and others have particular responsibilities of how they can help this process even be more meaningful. So before before we close this conversation, and for those of you who joined late, um, I'm talking to Dr. Peter Saint-Jean, and we're talking specifically about how we can go about um, developing a peaceful Dominica, peaceful nature island. And, 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 and that if we don't do something deliberate soon, um, it may be you know, exponentially more difficult to do. But before, before we end the conversation, Dr. Sejan, guns. I mean, you are, both you and I live in America, you live in Chicago, I live in Brooklyn. And, and we see the convenience of guns as contributing to Crime, you know, if if you if you have an altercation with somebody and you know that you have a gun, um, you may respond differently than if you did not have a gun, you know. And even mm-hmm. even when you get angry and you're justified, you, there might be feast for flying, you know, you, 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 or, or maybe even some other hard object, but a gun is so quick and so final. There seems to be more of a proliferation of guns in Dominica. So that's what that's what it appears, um, and we see certain people posing with guns on Facebook and that sort of thing. And it seems to be a little more accepted. And even even law-abiding citizens might be thinking, maybe I need to arm myself so I can defend myself. What's your What's your take on on the possession of of guns as as almost as a norm in in the society? 
Yes, uh, that's a good question. And, and, and in different cultures, re- reactions and responses to guns are different. I tell the case, there was a man named Mr. Benoit. When I was a little boy, Mr. Benoit would go up the road with a rifle with his gun. And whenever Mr. Benoit went up the road with a gun and my house was by the road, I would see Mr. Benoit. I was happy to see Mr. Benoit go up the road with a gun because I knew that if I went up the road in the next hour or so, Mr. Benoit would have killed the cow and then we could get some fresh milk. And if I helped out, I'd probably get some milk to bring home. So I saw a gun as a, as a tool. Right. When I joined the military, um, I spent uh, 12 years in the United States Army uh, and uh, serving the National Guard in various locations. And I had a gun, I had a weapon. I carried a weapon in certain, in certain circumstances, right? Um, and, and in private life and in other circumstances, I've been around a weapon and seen weapons as tools. When my students, my criminal justice students, Whenever they come, I want to be criminal justice majors in my criminal justice class. And I take them to the gun range. You know, they go, they, you know, they fire the weapons. And because some of them are allergic to the sound, the smell, some of them are afraid or petrified. So, but what happens, though, so, and people have the right to be arms in the United States, Second Amendment rights, right? So, uh, but, but as people say, guns do not kill people, knives do not kill people, right? Poison by itself does not just show up in your body and kill you. People's hands don't just kill people without intentions, right? Because you can kill people with your hands, you can kill them with the guns, and so on. So, but what happens is that when you have uh, the underdevelopment of, of, of the social components of people, and when you have people with bad intentions, then there are accelerants that can move the condition from, multiple, from, from, from additive to exponential, right? So a gun is an accelerant for someone with rage and with intention and with the belief that it is okay to take the life of another person, right? And, and sometimes, um, and with, with some people, with, if you have to use hand-to-hand to kill someone, it's, very, it's a very difficult thing. You may change your mind after a few punches. If you have to stab someone to death, maybe you may change your mind after the first stab because the blood might splatter on you. But with a gun, you don't have to deal with the conscience so much. You don't have to think about it too much. You can do it very quickly. It's an accelerant of anger to bring mayhem. So... Mm-hmm. So, but because there are guns present doesn't necessarily mean that people will kill people because there are a lot of communities in the United States where there are a lot of guns and people die from them only through accidents. You understand, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to look fundamentally at what are the social development of people in different times. And if people have access to guns and with guns with rage and are willing to do harm, that the presence of the gun will accelerate the possibility of injury or death. So we have to look at these things together. We cannot just look at the gun or the knife and say to get rid of them. And we have to look at the social development and how various tools can serve as accelerants to, to, to evil. And, and coming up now, uh, something else that you mentioned in your, in your letter to the Prime Minister um, is the fact that we are entering uh, an election season, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it seems like there's a lot at stake on both sides, which, which, which sort of like is a perfect storm where you, where you have people who may be dissatisfied, feel disenfranchised, people who have strong emotional affinity to one side or the other, and you're warning that in, in the next few months, as people anticipate elections and the date is announced and the campaign gets to a, a crescendo, and, and depending on the results, maybe even after the election. How, 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 what, 
what, what can the authorities do in a practical sense to, to, to pour some water, cold water on that situation and to, and to make it less threatening and less ominous? Yes, well, the, the, the very tricky part about this is that, you know, the prime minister has the power of executive and is an over-judiciary, you know, in the sense that, you know, and that's another conversation we can have with the problem of the Westminster system, and that's not the fault of the prime minister. You can't blame the you can't just blame the, the, the player. It's just, as I said, don't hit the player, hit the game, but you cannot just blame the player without having some emphasis on the game. Right. Um, so because we do not have a strong enough division between the judiciary and the executive, right, that what would be what would be required is for, for the police chief and the, the judiciary And political entities in the country. 
So do you think it would help, um, say, if we saw a more cordial, more courteous relationship between the leader of the opposition and the leader and the prime minister, maybe where they would meet, um, even if they don't want to hug and kiss, but at least issue a joint statement, um, helping to, to, to let people know that, yes, this is, this is politics, but at the end of the day, we're all Dominicans. Yes, I think, I think it, would, it would help very much, and I don't think that it is beyond the character of the of Prime Minister Spirit, no, neither Honorable Linton, that both men would speak and can speak to all Dominicans saying, listen, we are men of peace, because I believe both of them are men of peace. We are men of peace, and, and please, although this is going to be a tough, a tough, a tough competition, please do not be me, I'm a madness to our peaceful Dominican. I am not endorsing any wickedness, any mischief, or any type of political uh, intimidation that you, that you want. And if you have that in mind, please do not do that. You know, and, and I think if both, uh, and not only that, but if you do that, then we will, we will ensure that law and order, we will support law and order, we will provide information that will allow you to get prosecuted because we do not believe in that. Because these men do not say that and they let people intimidate on their behalf after they get in power. These people want to intimidate them, want their power, and it can compromise them very significantly and then the country becomes compromised. So I think it's a good idea that Mr. Linton and, 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 and Mr. Skerritt uh, make those, those joint statements. I believe both of them are capable of that. I see both of them are peaceful men. Uh, and I think it would, make, it would help to set the tone because um, we stand, we stand a, a good chance that some um, emotions that are heightened and some people that feel that they are invincible or feel that they can do what they want may take, try to take the law into their own hands or to intimidate. And that goes on both sides. That is not to say that it is, it is just liberal rights in, uh, or, or, or just UWPIs or whomever. But the issue is that usually when you will work with incumbents and you have the state at your authority, usually the people in power more empowered to be bullied. That's why we see with, with, with Trump in the United States. You know, that they, they feel that they can bully with impunity because, you know, you have power in your hand. So, so, so in that particular case, people may, 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 may want to believe that because the, the Labour Party is in power and the police are basically uh, under the leadership of those that are in power, that the Labour Party may be the one to incite violence. But that's not necessarily the case. And I think neither side should do that, and, and because we are too peaceful, we are too good people to do that, um, and I don't think we should accuse one or the other automatically because of things that happened in the past, because the past sometimes is a good predictor of the future, but sometimes it's not. Well, certainly. So, so Dr. Sensha, uh, we are at the end of our conversation. We've been at it for, for, um, for an hour and 20 minutes almost. Um, I'm going to give you a chance to, I don't know if there's anything I haven't asked you that, that, you, that you think could be relevant to the conversation. Um, but just let's bring the conversation to a close. Yes, well, let me just say that I, when I wrote this letter, I wrote this with a heavy heart because I had just met with Cynthia, you know, in, in Silver Lake, you know, and not just with Cynthia, Cynthia was just one of them, but Cynthia, uh, her daughter, Glenoka, is the one who is Marcus's um, the fiancé or, or, or partner. Um, and she is the sister of Esther Bello, whose uh, partner was Wadada, who was murdered there. So you have families that face multiple times and multiple levels of victimization when murders and so on happen. You have people who live in Silver Lake who believe that, you know, the government helped them to, to be able to have a, a better place to live, but they are within walls without much protection. Uh, some of their amenities are not working right and so on, and those things can be fixed. 
but they are concerned about the social infrastructure that they are in and that they have lost three of their sons in a very short time. Uh, and that I have tried to communicate with the, the Prime Minister, um, I've tried to reach through the radio, I've tried to put emails, um, so on, um, uh, to really, not that he has to listen to anything I have to say, and I want to make sure that people understand what this letter is not about. This letter is not about telling the Prime Minister that he has to listen to me. He doesn't have to listen to me. What he has to do is to be able to do good by the people by having some sort of systemic approach better than what is currently what I understand to be this peaceful approach to be able to create a more peaceful dominator. And I just wanted to be able to give him some information that he can have, and, to, and even if he never read it or whatever, but other people themselves can see and say, let us all together take a peaceful dominator as our responsibility, even if we have not implemented anything of the type that I'm talking about, we don't have the type of community policing that we, we have. We as individual Dominicans, we as families, we are people in the hamlets and the communities, we need to embrace that peaceful nature as uh, Mitchell as ours. And, and, and if we had some things in, in, in infrastructure in place, we could do better, but we still could do excellent because we are great people. We are great, peaceful, loving people. I wanted to put it out there. I wanted to put the caution out there. I do not want, I do a lot more that I can say, but I'm not interested in, in compromising the, the security of the nation. I'm not interested in creating a moral panic, and I'm not interested in saying things that, that I should not say because I want the protection of our nation, of our people. But it's part of my responsibility is to be able to do what I do. I'm not looking for a job. I already have a job, and this is my job, right? So some people are saying that I'm probably looking for what I'm not looking for anything for anybody. I'm just doing the simple work, and hopefully that uh, people do not take this and spin it the wrong way. This is not about politics. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not involved in any one of the parties, and I have no intentions to be. I don't know what the future holds, but that's not, you know, I, we don't know it for anything, right? But that's not the intention here, and I hope that the ledger... Um, uh, uh, don't blame Skerritt or blame anybody for anything, but see it for what it's worth and let us be able to, to use the advice and the warning to be able to have a, a peaceful Dominica, to have a safe election period and for us to come out of this in a way that we can see a more uh, reduction in violence and crime and more peacefulness and harmony among us as loving Dominicans. And, and of course, we, we thank you so much for that contribution and uh, we really appreciate what you do, and our hearts go out to the, to the family of, of, of Marcus and the other young men who are involved. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully your letter will be a signal to send help in that area, because, um, you know, you bring it home. You, you say that Marcus had four children that depended on him economically as well as for guidance. You know, he has, he has, he has a, a, a lady who's, who's suffering and heartbroken, I'm sure, you know, and, and, and even the extended family around him. Um, so, so, so we, you know, our sympathies to, to them, and um, we want to join our voice in your appeal to, to the authorities to look in that direction and, and pay attention and, and try to see what we can do for, for the people all over Dominica, because as you said, there's nothing special about Silver Lake or Baffer State. Um, that sort of activity can be formed in various parts of the country and of the Caribbean. So, so we hope that, that, that your letter will spur some kind of action. And, and I thank you so much for, for taking the time um, to come out here and to, and to share your vast knowledge and experience and, and your willingness 
to jump in there, roll up your sleeves, and do what, whatever is required or asked of you. So thank you again. You're very welcome, sir. Have a good night. All right. Thank you, and good night to you. Well, listeners, there you have it. You know, um, every time, every time there is, uh, uh, you know, uh, we have that kind of conversation with a Dominican who has achieved so much. Um, we can't help but, but wonder why it is that all this talent um, cannot be used for the benefit of, of Dominica. And we, we long for a time when um, our, our folks who have gone out and achieved and want to give back, um, that they will be welcome back. They will don't have to fight. And, 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 you know, do all kinds of stuff to get in there and to contribute. So, Dr. Senjan, thank you. Thank you, listeners, for, for staying with me. Thank you to our producer and Sam. If you listen to us on RVM Jams, RVR Jams in, um, in Dominica or wherever on, online, um, we want to say thanks. This has been This Week in Interview, and I'm your host, Anthony Drago. Next week, Wednesday, we will do this again. I'll be here. I hope you will be as well, and we will see you then. Good night. The number one, the number one Caribbean radio station on the web, TDN Radio. TDN Radio. TDN Radio, we play the hits and wicked old school jams to bring back memories. Larry's Place presents the 